came to faith in Christ sometime before my eighth birthday. I'm not sure quite when, but I did not understand at that point in life the permanence of God's grace, and I did not have any assurance of my salvation. This led to repeated personal requests for God to save me. Eventually, I walked an aisle seeking forgiveness, and although that experience gave me a measure of assurance for a while, I never came to understand that salvation was secure, not at least until I was past 20 years old. In between age 8 and my early 20s, I definitely knew right from wrong, and I, I wanted to live and act as God wanted me to live. However, I did not know how to stand against temptation and often fell short of what I knew was right. This led me to believe or to conclude ultimately that I had forfeited my salvation, not having any assurance of it to begin with. Personal ambitions then became my idols. This took place over a period of years. God was very patient with me. But his discipline did eventually catch up to me. He systematically removed all possibility of achieving the things that I valued and sought in life. It was then and only then that I turned back to God, found assurance, and followed Him. I am exceedingly thankful that the loving and forgiving God of the universe gave me a second chance to serve Him. The prophet Jonah surely did. Jonah deliberately and rebelliously disobeyed God. God was patient with him and disciplined him. And through that discipline, God got Jonah's attention, and he gave Jonah a second chance at obedience. Maybe he's given you a second chance. You're taking advantage of it. You're listening to the Shepherd's Table podcast. This is Dr. Jay Wagoner speaking. And we are now ready to look at the final chapters of Jonah's story. You can identify here in chapters 3 and 4. The necessary components of obedience. And what we find here is that God expects us, Him, yes, but to also obey with wholehearted obedience. We'll begin with the obey part. These are then the two components that we're looking at. The two components, what would be wholehearted. First one is just simply obedient behavior. Jonah's behavior had been anything but obedient. He ran away, refused to go to the place God had told him to go, deliberately disobeyed. Looking at chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God gave Jonah a second time, a second chance. Of course, this followed. What had just happened, if you go back to the previous chapter, the last verse, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It was then, and only then, after Jonah had repented of his sin and received forgiveness of God, that God then gave him a second chance at doing what he had originally asked him to do. Notice that obedient behavior is based on God's word, God's will. 
Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. So in our compliance with God's word. And obedient behavior is not negotiable. It, it, it wasn't for Jonah from the very start. He's just now ready to give in to it, give in to God's request, which follows in verse 2 of chapter 3. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. That was the word of the Lord that came to Jonah the second time. Verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. So Jonah's second chance was, well, the same chance he already had received. He just didn't obey the first time. Your obedient behavior is not negotiable. God doesn't change his mind or give us some other out. And obedient behavior is not always easy either. It wasn't that this was an easy task from the start that God gave to Jonah. It was a very large city. Verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey. That's the same terminology that's used in the first chapter when he gave him the command the first time. He said, go to that great city, Nineveh. He didn't go to begin with, but he's ready to go now. And he still is faced with a, a huge task. Nineveh was a four-city complex, a walled city and cities outside of that. And it's described here in verse 3 as being a three-day journey in extent. We don't know whether that was a description of how long it took to walk around the entire four-city complex. It would have been... Uh, it would have been uh, less time to walk around the walled part. But Nineveh, Nineveh had spread out to quite a large city. Been uh, the time it took to walk around it on the outside, but probably more likely the time it would take to walk through it and pronounce the message that God had given Jonah to deliver on, on multiple streets, multiple uh, areas, and um, multiple sections of the city. The city was at least 100,000 archaeologists and so forth, all four cities combined. And more importantly, it was an important city to God. Verse 3 uh, says, And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, and then concludes the concluding sentence in verse 3. It says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey stint. Here... There's a little difference in the original language. It's, it's called an exceedingly great city here as far as the translation goes. But the Hebrew, in, the Hebrew means something more like a great city to God. So it was a great city in size, verse 2, but it was a very important city to God in verse 3. That's what the scripture indicates here. God cared about the Ninevites. They were his creation too, even though they were Gentiles and very wicked people. We know they were a very needy city because in chapter 4, verse 11, it talks about uh, how many there were that didn't know the right from wrong, that 20,000, 120,000 it says. Now, obedient behavior is, again, based on God's word. It's not negotiable. It's not an easy task. This was a big job. But obedient behavior is, is always worth the effort. God, you see, had probably prepared Nineveh for Jonah's arrival. In fact, 
They had went through a plague not too many years before Jonah's arrival. Actually, two plagues, one in 765 B.C. and one in 759 B.C. Jonah probably arrived shortly after these events. And uh, then again, Jonah had a, had a special advantage to getting their attention, I think. If you go to Luke chapter 11, the Lord Jesus speaking about Jonah, Luke chapter 11, verses 29 and following. Verse 29 says, And while the crowds were thickly gathered, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be a sign to this generation. Now, Jesus says Jonah became the sign. Jonah was the sign. He didn't give them a sign. He was the sign. Just by showing up, he was a sign. What are we to make of this? Well, the Assyrian Empire ruled most of the eastern half of the Mediterranean area, and so their empire stretched from from Nineveh all the way back west to and around the Mediterranean Sea. So it's quite possible that when that fish vomited Jonah out, chapter 2, verse 10, that somebody saw that. Maybe a lot of people saw it. Certainly possible. It was part of the, part of the Assyrian Empire where, of course, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. So that news perhaps made its way back to Nineveh before Jonah actually arrived. Top of this, archaeologists confirmed that the Ninevites worshipped a fish god, probably Dagon, the same god that uh, the Philistines worshipped, if you remember that story, when the ark was taken and put in the temple of Dagon and the idol, carved idol, kept being found flat on the ground the next morning. There seems to be some evidence, and it wasn't the only god worshipped by the Ninevites, but it was one. So someone being spit out of a fish, and uh, that's probably going to get their attention. Jonah's story evidently, obviously, I think, preceded him to Nineveh. We don't know how long after he was spit out of the fish, that uh, what, what time elapsed before God spoke to him in chapter 3, verse 1, and says, go to Nineveh and preach again. So he had time to precede him. And so when he arrived, he already was, no doubt, a sign. Nineveh was about 700 miles. Um, by foot or by caravan, however he may have traveled, it would have took some time. Jonah then had a message to deliver. It says in verse 4, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah's message was one of conditional destruction, not not a message of this is exactly what's going to happen. You can't change it. No, it was conditional. Why do we know that? Well, why give them 40 days if it wasn't conditional? That seems quite obvious. Jonah did not want them to fulfill the condition of, of repenting, but uh, he, he wanted to see them overthrown. But uh, that, that's uh, what we're going to find out. We'll see that, that as we get on into this. But this was a conditional pronouncement of judgment. Jonah want to see it have any effect, but 
God did. The Ninevites did repent. That's the next thing we see. It says uh, in verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So they believed the message that Jonah spoke to them came from God. Again, I think God had prepared them and God had sent them a sign. Uh, there's a reason for this beyond just the message. But more importantly, God is just a sovereign God. And uh, he was involved in all of this. In verse 6 says, And the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Interestingly, the king responded after the people did. He's equally willing to repent and mourn over his sin. Verse 7 says that he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh, a decree of the king and noble saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. But then again, see God's response to all this in verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented. He had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, it wasn't that God changed his mind because he gave them a conditional command to start with. They just had made the right response. The first thing we see, though, out of Jonah, which is the point here, is that he obeyed. He his behavior changed. He changed from disobe being disobedient. He's now obedient. He goes and does what God says, and God uses it in a mighty way. It's always important that we obey as far as our behavior is concerned. But there's a second element to the, be to the obedience that God wants from us, to two components. The first one is this obedient behavior. We've got to do what he wants us to do. We've got to do what the Word of God tells us to do. But he also wants us to have a submissive attitude. That's the second part of the kind of obedience God desires. He wants us to behave in the right way, do the right things, do what we are told, but he wants us to do it with a submissive attitude. It's not necessarily guarantee a submissive attitude. For example, chapter 4, verse 1, after the Ninevites had repented, the word of God says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Well, he, he wasn't happy about it at all. He, he didn't want to see them repent. He didn't want to see them give, even, being, even be given an opportunity from the start. In fact, this is probably what Jonah would feared, or at least part of what he feared in going to Nineveh from the start. Because the Ninevites were violent. Interestingly, the king said, in verse 8, in his proclamation, everyone should turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. The, the Assyrians were extremely violent people, and they treated conquered people uh, in the most heinous ways. Well, Jonah was displeased in verse 1 with what happened. That's what it says. It displeased Jonah, but it also says he was angry. He became angry. Well, who is there to get angry at except God? So he was angry at God. Then in verse 2 it says, So he prayed to the Lord, and said, and said <clears throat> Oh God, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? 
Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, and slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. For now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Well, he went from anger to bitterness to now depression. He was certainly happy to live when the fish spit him out. He was happy to have a second chance. He rejoiced over that. But now he doesn't want to live. If it has to be in view of the fact that his preaching led to the salvation of these wicked people. He says, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. Well, displeasure of this nature, anger toward God, bitterness and leading to depression and the desire to, you know, to live no longer. All that had welled up in Jonah and he needed to resolve it. He needed to work through that. And fortunately, God had the patience with him, even at this point, to help him work through it. Anger needs to be expressed appropriately. We work through our anger, but we have to work through our anger from God's perspective. The big question is always this, is our anger about something, whatever it is, that is ultimately directed to God if it's something that's happened, because he's a sovereign God. The, the ultimate question we have to ask is this, is our anger justified? Well, jo Jonah is expressing his anger in the worst way, in such bitterness of heart that he's wanting to die. And so in verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Now, perhaps he was hoping that the repentance that he had observed and that had taken place was just, you know, well, maybe they didn't really mean it. Maybe maybe God would yet figure out just how awful these people were and maybe judgment would fall. So he went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city, made himself a shelter, sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And as he's sitting there in this bitterness of heart, verse 6 says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head, deliver him from the misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Well, the, the average temperature in what is now modern-day Iraq during the hot seasons around 110 degrees. But we also learned that uh, there was a superheated heated east wind involved here, verse 7. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, so it damaged the plant, that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wished, then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. See, it just drove him further into depression. This east wind that is often experienced, superheated east wind that afflicts this area of the world can drive the temperatures up to 130 degrees. The plant, well, won't even try to pronounce the actual name for the plant or the possible plant because there is a plant that will grow to a height of 8 to 10 feet with broad leaves in a very quick time, in a day or so, in that area of the world. And it's very susceptible to the attack of worms because it's, it grew tall very quick, but it's still young and it's tender in and, and its stalk. And a worm or worm more, prob more probably a group of worms would attack such a plant and kill it very quickly. So why did God prepare the plant 
cause it to grow there, to give him shade, and then just take it away. It was an object lesson that God was giving to Jonah to help him work through his anger. So we see in verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He was upset because he'd lost his shade. It was miserable. He's ready to die again. He's just, he's a miserable individual in a very miserable state of mind here. And God gives him some relief from the heat and then God takes it away. And then God has a question for him. He said, is it right for you to be angry about the plan? And here's Jonah's response. And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. And then God says this, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between the right hand and their left, and much livestock? Well, the point here was simply this. This was, the, this was God's lesson to Jonah. Jonah cared more about that plant and his own comfort than he did about the souls of people that God had created that were in danger of eternal destruction. The book of Jonah ends like that. I think it's pretty good, pretty, uh, pretty good odds that Jonah responded to this whole thing because who but Jonah could have wrote the book of Jonah? But he doesn't add to it. This is what God gave him. But assuredly, Jonah responded to this accepted it, realized his selfishness, and so forth. I think that's an easy conclusion to draw, since he's the only possible author of the book that knew what happened in the fish and all the rest. And so we see these two components of wholehearted obedience that God wants from us. He wants obedient behavior, but he also wants us to be submissive to God's will. He wants obedient behavior, but he also wants a submissive attitude. Hate is only part of the equation. Sometimes, like Jonah, we might be forced to do something that we don't want to do, like Jonah was. Jonah had to realize there was a reason for it. There was a purpose in it. There was grace in what God asked him to do. God truly was a merciful God. So what does God require of us? Well, requires that we do what he says, and he also requires that we learn to like him. I've been listening to the Shepherd's Table podcast. This is Dr. Jay Wagoner. For more information on the Shepherd's Table ministry, you can log on to shepherdstable.net. I hope you'll join me again real soon. God bless you.